0: here we are in our summer series, and we're looking at the parables. When Mark first invited me to speak over the summer on the parables, I got really, really excited, and I completely geeked out. Um, I'm doing a theology degree at the moment, and last year, I got the opportunity to really delve deep into some of the parables, and I was like, yeah, I want to choose something really meaty. I want to really wrestle it, and I really want to go for it. And then every single one I kept thinking of, I was like, no, God doesn't want me to do that. And I was like, oh, but I could have gone really, I could have really shown off, if I'm honest. That's what I was thinking. I could have really shown off with that one. God kept saying no. Weeks kept passing, and Mark kept checking in with me and kind of saying, You uh, you know, you're preaching in a few weeks. You know, you know what parable you get, you know, which parable are you gonna choose? And I was like, I don't know. Uh, Oh, no, no, it'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got some ideas. I didn't have foggiest, not going to lie. Didn't have a clue. (laughs) Sorry. And everything that I kept thinking of, God kept saying, no. I like to be really prepared, um, really prepared, like to know where I'm at, know what I'm doing. And God started just kind of making, I think he kind of does it just to make us feel a little bit like, "Ah!" you know that feeling? And it wasn't until a few weeks ago when it hit me. I was at my site church um, and I had to go down this corridor, I walked down this corridor, or started to, and it was dark. It was really dark, and it kind of felt moody. Do you know what I mean? It kind of had that atmosphere. There were a few guys down there, and I thought, this just feels heavy, a little bit like, mm, I don't know, like something could kick off. It didn't have a nice feeling. It felt dark. Down the other side of the corridor, I could see a colleague starting coming up, and I was like, oh, bless him. He... He was kind of like shrugged over his books, and he was walking, and I could see he felt really uncomfortable. He was looking at the ground and not around him. He was kind of shuffling down this corridor, and I thought, how can I help it? Like, how can I help him? Like, I'm down the other end. I can't exactly walk with him. That would maybe make him feel better. And I thought, oh, simple. Just switch on a light. Just switch on a light. Light switches. Switched on the light. Instantly, the atmosphere changed. The atmosphere completely changed from being dark and heavy and kind of moody. Actually, it wasn't that bad. The guys that were down there actually were smiling. They weren't looking threatening. It wasn't that scary. But the atmosphere completely changed. My colleague that was walking up, all of a sudden, his his whole demeanour changed. You could see his shoulders go back. He was kind of walking along. He was looking up. He was chatting to people. And he walked down. He was feeling much more at peace. And it was in that moment, when God just said to me, we're called to be the light. So that's how I came on to the parable of the lamp. But before we go into the parable itself, I want to kind of just explore just a little bit for a couple of seconds why Jesus taught in parables. Because they are pretty weird, aren't they? If we're honest, they can sound a bit odd. So I was doing some reading, and I found an article um, in a journal by Josh Porter And in it, he says that we should view Jesus' parables as works of art. He says that Jesus is an artist, and at times a mysterious artist, willing to provoke his audience. Jesus worked in the medium of parables, which are short, fictitious narratives populated by vivid metaphors. Now, the creative in me loves that. I'm like, yes, I can kind of get into that headspace. I can get into that. But why would Jesus, with one of the most, the most important messages about who he is and God's kingdom, choose to speak in such a weird way? Even the disciples ask the same, don't they, in Matthew 13. They're like, Jesus, why are you speaking in parables? Surely there's a better way, a clearer way. What are you thinking? Okay, they don't quite say that bit, but they say the beginning bit. I'm sure that's what they're thinking anyway. But Jesus answers by using the prophet Isaiah and explains that they're meant to be ambiguous, at least for some people. You see, Isaiah was a prophet sent by God to call the the people back to God. He was called to tell people about the coming judgment, but Isaiah knew that not everyone was going to hear his message. So Jesus is attempting to use the same imagery as Isaiah To communicate something really, really powerful. But Jesus is the Messiah and it is him that is going to bring God's kingdom. Josh Porter continues and says that you can water down the creativity of an artistic message so that it becomes comprehensible for a wide audience. But there's a catch. The more watered down the message, the weaker it becomes for those who have ears to hear which kind of explains why Jesus likes to communicate about God's kingdom in this way. Those already that get Jesus' message and his mission will understand it, but they will grow deeper in that understanding. But those that are stuck with those hardened, religious, self-righteous hearts, the parables are likely just to confuse them, but maybe provoke them. You see, Jesus wants to trigger questions and provoke us. Ultimately, Jesus wants to know us and to be known. He wants to speak to us about the, the truth to the deepest level of our souls. So, as we read these parables, let's not try focusing on trying to get like a one liner life lesson. That's not what these are about. Jesus wants to get our creative juices going. He wants us, his audience, to do more than just listen and think. He wants to awaken us, awaken us to the truth of who he is. But his message and the coming kingdom to use our imaginations, to engage our emotions and to be challenged and provoked into action. So I'd just like to pray before we get into the word and then we're gonna get stuck in. Sound good? Good. Come, Holy Spirit, Father God, I pray that you would awaken us, that you would inuse our imaginations, that you would engage our emotions. And Holy Spirit, would you challenge and provoke us into action? Amen. 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 Uh, so if you have a Bible with you, if you could turn to Matthew chapter 5, uh, maybe you've got an app, if you don't, that's no problem at all, the words are going to come up on the screen, I actually find it easier, I get so easily distracted, and I find it easier to follow on the screen, you ready? Good, so Matthew 5, 14 to 16, it says this, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do you put a light, lamp, light a lamp and put it under a bowl, Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this parable is also found in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25, and Luke chapter 8, verses 16 to 18. Guess what, guys? Setting your homework. Don't you love it when I preach? Always set homework. Go and do a little compare and contrast. Really dig deep. If I'm honest, I was planning to preach on all of these versions. It got so... It took me on such a journey. It started to get so deep. It was starting to hit me on so many different levels. It was becoming a mini-series. Uh, which, you know, great, but I don't know how Mark would have felt about that. It would have gone on a few weeks. So literally this week, God went, nope. And I was like, what are you talking about now? I started planning this. And he was like, no, go back to where I had you in that corridor, reduce it down and speak on that. But please, please do do your homework because I can tell you it will take you on such a deeper level. Um, there is a book that I would like to recommend to you. It should be coming up on the screen now, although poor Thiago has a lastminute.com from me with the slides. Uh, it's called Stories with Intent by Klein Snodgrass. And if you're a geek like me and you want to get to know these um, parables a little bit more, I can highly, highly, highly recommend that book. So I have been a Compassion and Justice pastor here in the vineyard For around, it gets a bit blurry, 10 years, I was first a volunteer and then came on as staff. So my work has predominantly been in the areas of poverty and injustice and their effects. And I find it an absolute privilege. I really, really do. I say to people, I get to see the very best of humanity, but also, unfortunately, I get to see the very worst I get to see the best when I see people coming to know Jesus and their chains are broken free and they step into a new life, that transformed life that God has for them. I see people coming out of poverty and breaking the chains of injustice. I see people's generosity. Oh my gosh, generosity. Kids after so many children giving up their birthday presents, Christmas presents and giving so sacrificially. People that give up days of work, giving up their wage to come and serve week in, week out, hours of dedicated service, kindness that you just wouldn't believe, people sitting down and talking and loving and walking out their faith. And it is a joy to be a part of and see faith in action in that way. But unfortunately, I've seen the very, very worst as well it is a very dark and broken world. I cannot tell you the conversations and the meetings I have had with people living in abuse, coming through the doors black and blue. I've sat down and pasted those on both ends of that abuse, the abused and the abuser, and it's painful, just as painful on both sides. I've seen the devastating effects of addiction not just for the person that is just so bound in it, so bound, and it's so hard to break free. But it also affects their friends, their families, and even has a a knock-on effect on communities. I've walked alongside people that have fled countries where it's so unsafe that they have risked human trafficking, sexual exploitation, homelessness, just devastating. I spent some time out in what was the jungle in Calais before that was destroyed and it was, I have never seen such squalor. And these were people just like you and I, just like you and I, leaving and fleeing their countries. And what are they met with? Are they met with a welcome and a safe haven? No. And we wonder why they would risk everything to get in a boat and to sail elsewhere. Once you meet with people like that, you see the darkness of this world. The rates of poverty in this country are skyrocketing. There, there were just some stats out last week from the Child Action Poverty Group. And childhood poverty in particular, the numbers are trebling. And I, and I just think, it's just going to get so much worse with winter coming. I mean, these are working families, working families that can't afford to put food on the table for their children. That is not right. It is not okay. We have a loneliness pandemic in this country. I spoke to somebody a few weeks back, and they had, I was the first person that they'd spoke to in about two weeks. Two weeks! They go to the supermarket just to have some human contact. And it isn't just out there. It's got to be said, loneliness happens in this church as well. I've touched on this before. Being single in a church can really suck. There are people here that have never been invited to a family's for a Sunday lunch. Loneliness can destroy us and it will destroy our communities. And that's what the devil wants. You know, we live in such a broken and hurting world, crying out for someone to switch on the light. But there is good news. There is good news. The light has been switched on. The light has been switched on. It says in John 8 that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the only one that can bring healing and restoration and transformation to this hurting and broken world. It is only him, it is only his light, his power, his authority that can bring it. In the vineyard, we have a really strong kingdom theology. This, that means that we believe that Jesus, through Jesus' life, death and resurrection, he inaugurated God's kingdom coming here on earth. But we're living in this period of this now and the not yet. Although God's kingdom is here, it hasn't come in completion. But the Bible tells us that it will come in its fullness when Jesus returns. But that doesn't mean that we just sit here, complacent, waiting for that day. No. You see, when we put our trust in Jesus, when that light ignites in our heart and that flame fans and it becomes bigger. Our hearts are transformed. And that transformation doesn't stop. That continues. It continues when we start reading our Bible, when we pray, when we, when we worship him. Now, when I talk about worship, I'm not talking about just sung worship, although I love sung worship. I think it's amazing. I love to worship God in that way. But I think in the, West, in the West in particular, in a modern church, we just see that as a form of worship and we forget the call that is on our life. We are called to be obedient to God, to submit to him, to pick up our cross and follow him. And that is how we worship. We worship him with how we use our bodies. We worship him in our every single day by what we do and how we treat others. That is the worship that he is calling us to. But in that, he brings wholeness and flourishing and light, and that floods us. So why would we want to keep that? Why would we want to keep that to ourselves and hide it under a bowl, like our passage tells us? If we know that we have the key, we have the light to bring that healing and transformation to others... Let's not keep it hidden. It says in our verse, doesn't it? Put it on a stand to light the whole house. And know Jesus isn't just talking about our homes, with our families, although that's part of it. We're to take that. The house is the world. It's the world. The light that you have in you is to shine in the world. You know, the light that is given to us by Jesus by entering into our hearts, which transforms us, should impact our families, our friends, our communities, every sphere that we found ourselves in. That light should impact them. We should live so counterculturally to the world, we should live so differently that people ask us why. We should be sharing our resources, not storing it up for ourselves, putting it away in a bank. I'm not telling you to be not financially wise. But do you really need the new car or could you bless someone else with one? Do you really need the bigger house? If you do, great. Invite others into it. There's a saying, isn't there? What is it? Don't build taller fences, build a wider table, something like that. I love that saying. I'm like, yes, that is how we should be living that others say to us, why do you live so differently? But it isn't that we can boast or get a little pat on the back or making us feel good. It's not about that. It's not to fulfill some sort of need within us. It's all because of Jesus. It's so that others can see Jesus in us, his light, his power, that they're so drawn to him that they don't even see us, that they don't even see us. You ever seen Bugs Life? I think it was Bugs Life. If it wasn't Bugs life, sh- life, shout at me which film it was. It was a cartoon and it had bugs in it, so I kind of think it was Bugs Life. Um, there were these bugs. It was dark, and these bugs were really attracted to light. And there was one of these strip lights, but unfortunately, it was one of those bug zappers. Really, really sad. And these bugs are like going towards it, and their eyes go, and they're like, ah, ah, and they're getting caught towards it. And these other bugs go, no don't look at the light. And these bugs are like, oh my gosh, but I can't help it, it's so beautiful. And they go flying and and they get zapped. Very sad. Now, I'm not going to say Jesus is going to zap you, although I have been known to go, Holy Spirit zapping. I know, I'm really lame. I, I just embarrass everybody I'm around. But it's true. That's what we want. Whenever I think of it, I'm like, that's what I want. I want people to see Jesus so much that they don't even see me and that they're so transfixed on him, they will follow wherever he leads. But it does come at a, cross. It does come at a cost. Following Jesus isn't always easy, and I cannot stand here and tell you that it is because it isn't. This, this last season in the last few weeks have been particularly hard I feel like I've been kind of going along and kind of like, yeah, my eyes are fixed on Jesus. and I keep hitting those really annoying little potholes of life that keep just giving you a slap. Little things like this breaks, that breaks, this has gone wrong. Now you've got to deal with this. Now that's not happening. This, you know what I mean? I have felt completely spent emotionally, physically, financially, spiritually, all of the limbs Done done. To the point, if I'm really honest, I did not want to be up here today preaching. I was like, done. Done. My light was not very bright. Until Thursday. Um, well, still kind of sulking, feeling sorry myself for all these things that just weren't going right. And I had an encounter with someone. And they said to me, why are you being, why have you been so kind to me? I was a little bit taken aback. I was like, I didn't even realize, if I'm honest, that I had been particularly kind. I thought that I'd been really moody. (laughs) Um, But they said, "Why, why have you been really kind? And I just felt really prompted. I started sharing with them kind of where I'm at, how I feel. But I started talking to them about Jesus. And then I started talking about God's kingdom and God's plans and purposes for their life. This guy told me that he was Muslim. And I and we had this amazing conversation. He was asking such deep questions. So the light, no matter how I was feeling or what was going on in my life, all of that went into the darkness where it belongs. And the light of Jesus in me, which I didn't wasn't even aware that was shining, ignited something in his. I was able to give him a Bible. Uh, He was desperate for me to come back later that day. I was like, I just can't come back today. I'm so sorry. I gave him a Bible. I've given him some different readings and things. And I'm planning to meet with him again next week. And I could see it in his eyes, this little flame. It was that bug moment where he just, he's getting his eyes fixed on Jesus and nothing else. He didn't want to know about anything else. And in that moment, everything of how I was feeling, All how hard it is, all the worldly how hard it is, faded into nothing. Jesus' light has shone into someone else's heart. What is better than that? What is better than that? So, what does this look like for you? I would just like to invite the worship team back up. And I kind of want to ask you some questions. What is God starting to challenge and provoke you about in interaction? Where are some of the areas of darkness that you are surrounded by? Where can you bring your light? Are there people in your community who are lonely? If you don't know, ask God. Ask God to show you. Start broadening your horizons of what some of the issues are in this world. Is there an injustice that you're aware of that needs the light of Jesus to transform it? Then bring it. I don't want to hear the church should be, the church could be. Let me tell you, you are the church. You have the light of Jesus in you and it is your responsibility to bring it. Yours. So bring it. Because there is a hurting dark world that is crying out for you to switch on that light. And each of us are made so differently. The light that I bring will be completely different to the light that Mark brings. Completely, completely different to one Katerina brings. She has her own light. The joy she has brought this morning, just by being herself and giggling, that is her light. You know... I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care if you're single. I don't care if you're married. I don't care if you're 80. You bring the light that Jesus has put in you. Can you stand and I want to pray? Holy Spirit, would you come? I thank you, Jesus, that you are the light of the world. That that light has been switched on. And as as I was praying, as I was preparing this weekend for today, I I just really got this excitement that there are people that want to take the message abroad, that there's countries that people have just started getting obsessed over and you don't know why and you're thinking, I can't afford it. Uh, What about my job? What about this? Let it fade into the darkness where it belongs. And Father God, if I just pray for those people now that you would give them all that they need and to equip them And and I also felt that there were people here like me, if I'm really honest, I used to say, I can't run a church. I can't be a site pastor. I can't do that." When I'm married, I will do X, Y, and Z. It's rubbish. God can and will use you in whatever life stage you are in. And I just break off the lies of the enemy that would keep you in the darkness where he wants to keep us. And Holy Spirit, would you come and ignite us where our flames can feel dull and hidden under a bowl. Would you put them on a light stand and let them shine for the entire world to see? And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.